Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about revisions. I'm your prepared host, Jay Scarity. And I'm the host is winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. Let's get into it. Part two of our three-part writing series. Yeah, and, and if anybody out there is wondering, I have no idea what uh, part three is going to be about specifically, other than writing. Yep. And yeah, I'll probably forget that. I'll, for, I'll forget that by the end of, by next week. So <laughs> It's a good one. It's a good one. It's not going to be a, um, I'm not out for blood. I'm not out for violence with the Oh, that's the all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to them anyway. So it, it's always a good time to do these, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, revisions. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just learning how to do them. Real, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> I'm learning how to do them in large scale. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. I think so. A lot of people hate revisions. I love the revising process. Yeah. It was definitely my favorite part of writing Weight of Gold. And I am actually like excited about it for the thesis, even though it's been a little bit of a slow start because I have some kind of big developmental things to change in the beginning yeah. of my novel. But for me, revisions is where my true creative gets to shine. Yeah. I would say that I have a lot of fun with them as well because I'm like, oh, wait, I need to do this. Oh, hey, I can do this. Oh, I get to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like that as much. Let me change that. And so that's been kind of fun. Um, you know, right now, just kind of, well, this week, you know, my professor was like, you're going to work on formatting. <laughs> so this week I'm working on formatting. Next week, I'll start in on revisions and, and outline and stuff again. Um, yeah. But I have to completely redo my outline because I'm stripping out uh, a mm-hmm. character perspective. And so that actually changes how much um, how much word count I can give to the primary character that I've mm-hmm. already been dealing with. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mine is going to end up being more than 80k 80k is the the most that they guarantee our professors will be able to read and mm-hmm. provide feedback on mm-hmm. and and mine's looking like it's going to be 120k novel at this point yeah um and i I'm, I'm my goal is to to do the whole thing to have the whole 120k words revised by the end of the term but yeah. we'll see yeah, no, I, I will probably have about 55 to 60, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, going to be about a quarter of the novel, to be honest. So, because mm-hmm. yeah. I actually, I was thinking, originally I was thinking two characters, two perspectives. Now I want to do four to give me, give a slightly wider perspective. Right, um, right. And because I would want to write about these down the road anyway, and I don't want my readers to be like ah oh, you're taking away from this character to do this other stuff i want them to know yeah. right up front hey i'm going to be doing some some random characters here and there mm-hmm. you know some more than just this this ranger or this thief 
Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So um, the end of last term, one of our assignments was to make a revision plan. Yeah. And then this term, the entire 10 weeks is all revising and i mentioned last week's episode we also have a portfolio most of that work's already done um but the revising is the kind of focus and we're pretty much on our own doing it we're just they throw us out there and say just a little scary yeah a little little like what do you mean i have to adult already i wasn't entirely worried (laughs) about that or i was entirely ready for that um and and the portfolio stuff is only pretty much complete if you don't have to redo the whole thing. Right. We both have to redo our, our outlines. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'll be tweaking things. I'm going to, my query letter is, is going to go through another round of edits. My synopsis is going to change quite a bit actually. And, and then my pitch is changing slightly as well. So um, everything's getting a, a last coat of polish, but the, the outline is going to have to be completely redone. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, But yeah, revision process. Do you have a process? Are you learning a process? How's it going? I read it. And as I go, I'm like, got to change that. Got to change that. Going to change that. Mm -hmm. Now, the the issue has been in the past that I've always just done that on the fly. Now Mm -hmm. I'm learning how to go through and make notes Mm -hmm. and and make sure that when I get to the end of it, my changes are going to be consistent. Because the last thing I want to do is create a continuity error, yeah, error, 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 error. Or, error, or something along those lines, and be like, "Wow, that was really dumb on my part." Yeah, yeah. I I had a couple continuity errors with, um, with my thesis so far that I've had to, as I'm rereading the beginning, think, "Oh yeah, that I forgot about that." <laughs> did something different later on and so then yeah. i have to make a note like no this character already knows about this they don't need to find out about it you know five chapters later yeah because they already know and yeah i've had to do that as well take some notes on things to yeah to fix and continuity I, I haven't been writing sequentially uh or um mm-hmm. you know chronologically so um I'm really concerned about having a couple of errors here and there because I've I've read things, you know, where like a, a character learns about something in chapter 15, but then references it in chapter nine. And it's mm-hmm. it's an obvious like, oh, this was done out of order, which, yeah. you know, writers do that all the time. Sometimes we have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like I don't want to leave that kind of thing. I, yeah. I definitely yeah. don't want to do that. Definitely. Um, so I, I do multiple passes with revisions. And I don't mm-hmm. know if I'll be able to get through multiple passes before the end of this term. I'll at least get through one pass. Yeah. So my, my first pass is always, you know, development, glaring plot issues, glaring story issues, making sure that character arc is really strong. Yeah. Um, yeah, really making sure everything's well developed and, yeah. and looking good. Uh, and then in later revision passes, I look for more like smaller detail kind of things, um, like choosing my words very wisely, choosing mm-hmm. to cut things that aren't necessarily contributing, 
choosing to uh, change certain descriptions or or makes you know the language prettier that kind of stuff smaller yeah. details happen later I can't do both at the same time because you if you're trying to focus on the small details and the big developmental stuff at the same time then you're just going to undo a lot of the work that you you had done with those small details that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah um with weight of gold i did probably at least 10 revision passes at least mm -hmm. and i i did it by chapter so i would focus on one chapter at a time i would do developmental and then i would do maybe a second or third pass on that same chapter before moving on and then i would do uh, maybe did two or three classes of the whole novel and then did editing classes as well um it's not going to work for this one <laughs> i have to do, just do the whole thing the whole yeah. book at once because yeah. i don't have time to spend you know two weeks on one chapter well it's not just that it's also the fact that like we're being given a structure to follow like you mm -hmm. need to get this done at this time this done at this time and it's like yeah. oh okay and you know my hope is that that's going to be a great way for me to uh a, like a template for me to use going forward and i was thinking mm -hmm. the exact same thing i'm going to do multiple multiple passes but i yeah. think i may actually break mine down even more like first do some some big plot stuff and then go mm -hmm. through and and do make sure that the dialogue is punched up to where i want it to be and mm -hmm. then maybe go through and and do some final tweaks and edits uh, yeah for language and for you know smaller details and the like but mm -hmm. that's one of my issues right now is, you know, um, the premise is this ranger patrol has gone out and most of them end up dead by the time the, the, the rest of the patrol makes it back. And mm -hmm. right now I'm basically like fridging characters like there's nothing else to them. And it's like that that needs to be fixed. That really needs to be fixed, mostly because. You know, it's just not really going to work. Yeah, it's a war story, but then, you know, one of the things to keep in mind about war stories is everybody has their own story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I had a revision checklist that I created for Weight of Gold. I, I can't find it. I don't even know where to begin mm. to find it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I made a checklist where I, I did... Kind of what you described where it's like, okay, first pass, I'm focusing very specifically on plot. Second pass, character. Second pass, or third pass, dialogue. And I, I really focused on only one or two things with each one, which is why it worked so well to do one chapter at a time and do a few passes with one chapter before moving on to the next. Because I would do a plot pass and then a character pass, a dialogue pass, whatever, all on the same chapter and I could do multiple passes in a day um, and then move on to the next chapter and so on. Um, but for this one, I am going to have to think of more than one thing at the same time, because like you said, there we're following kind of a format. There's yeah. not a lot of structure, but there is some yeah. and it needs to be a decent um, draft by the end of the term. Yeah. So um, I could, I mean, I could do a version of, of what I've done in the past and maybe do a couple passes on each chapter, but I'll have to keep plugging along and, and move a little quicker. 
which I think, you know, is not a bad thing. I don't think you necessarily have to separate it out a lot every time. Um, I think the more you practice with it, the more you'll be able to think about all at once mm -hmm. and be able to hold in your brain plot character and dialogue all at the same time and not have to separate them out. I, I know with like my academic writing, I can focus on a lot more elements at once because I've had a lot more years under my belt of, of academic and essay mm -hmm. writing. Um, so I think it's a good learning experience at least i anticipate it being a good learning experience for me to have to focus on more than one element yeah at once yeah the fact that you know i'll be doing revisions through something that's so large is really going to be the, the big experience for me mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm a project if we look at it this way i'm a project behind you you know um which is mm -hmm. fine you can go forward and break the ground just explain to me how you did it <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's uh, a lot of it's going to be like, okay, oh, I see what they're talking mm -hmm. about now. Okay, wait a minute, yeah. let me figure this out. Oh, okay, now I get this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to be an interesting couple of months for me. Yeah, I think um, at least based on what I've seen from other students, a lot of them anticipate having a finished novel by the end of the term, mm -hmm. and some of them may be able to do that a lot of our cohorts have like several published novels already so they may be able to achieve that but i yeah. do not anticipate having a finished novel at the end of the of the term i anticipate having a solid draft of a novel yeah and i will be doing multiple more revision passes yeah. before i'm ready to start querying any yeah. agents yeah, I'll be doing that and then replicating this three more times for three, you know, each for mm -hmm. one of the other characters. So, yeah, that's going to be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm right there with you. It's like, you know, not on top of uh, editing, I'm going to be doing a lot more writing as well. Mm -hmm. And our our program has this this cool thing where they invite agents to come listen to pitches, and they do it twice a year called the pitch weekend um so twice a year anyone who's finished their their thesis or at the end of thesis three or finished thesis three has the opportunity to to attend this pitch weekend and and pitch their their thesis novels and i am just like counting my lucky stars because <laughs> our pitch weekend isn't going to be till the fall so we'll have a few months between the end of thesis three and the opportunity to pitch to polish up our novels more. And I'm, I'm just like, I feel like I dodged a bullet, honestly, <laughs> with that, yeah. not having to pitch right at the end, because lots of other students, that's what happens is right at the end of thesis three is pitch weekend, and you don't want to miss that opportunity. But it's also like if they ask for pages or a full manuscript, you're sending them something that's not quite finished. Yeah. And that's a terrifying thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really grateful that they that we have um, a few months before <laughs> pitch weekend. Yeah. A lot more time to, you know, fine tune that pitch as well mm -hmm. as get the finished product done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's nice because it gives me, I work really well with deadlines. Mm -hmm. I don't work well with word count goals. 
that give me like a project deadline and mm-hmm. I, I that's where I can excel. And so having a deadline for this pitch weekend that I want my novel to be finished and ready to be seen by agents that's going to work well for me. I think that I won't just kind of slough off after the program's over and take a year long break or something that I still have to keep going and, and really finish this novel. Yeah. Yeah. Editing and revising. And and I agree with you. It's actually one of my favorite parts. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's also tough. Like, yeah, that's why whenever I get feedback, I'm like, you know, let me know so I can tear it apart and put it back together. So, yeah, and, yeah. Um, I think I've always kind of gone into our our feedback sessions like that. So at least I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I like to tell um, any students I've worked with, I've, I've TA'd in the past and I, I tutor now and I really like to tell students a lot of feedback does not mean that you did a bad job. A lot of feedback means that you gave that person a lot to work with. Yeah. And so when you see a bunch of red marks or when you see a bunch of comments, instead of panicking and feeling overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, this was a piece of crap and now I have to redo the whole thing. Just, you know, take it one thing at a time, but remember a lot of feedback is a good thing. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a very good point. Mm Mm-hmm. And the difference between the feedback you get in undergrad versus graduate school is is pretty significant. And in undergrad, I would get a lot of feedback that was just like a few um, like inline edits. <sighs> like this is the wrong verb tense or <laughs> yeah, or this is passive voice. And, and while those things are helpful, it's not really helpful when you're in the revision stage because everything's going to be rewritten anyway. Yeah. But in graduate school, it, you do still get some of that for sure. But um, you also get some really good quality like, hey, this isn't working or I, there's a continuity issue here. Yeah. Yeah. I do have to admit there's been a couple of times when I've been reading uh, people's commentary or, or feedback or something. And I'm like, are you actually in this MFA program? Like, seriously? <laughs> oh, no. Oh no. Like you literally just gave me line edits. You should know better by now, especially since I specifically yeah, yeah. said I'm looking for this and this. Yeah. No. It does nothing. still happen. Yeah. It really does. Um and I I just attribute that to someone who's just trying to get the assignment checked off and yeah. not really yeah. Because that's and definitely then, the easiest thing to Yeah. 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 Which is why I try never to do it. Even if I'm running short on time, <laughs> it's like I really like this. Hey, where are you going with this? This is really cool. Have you considered mm-hmm. this? Yeah. yeah. Um, if I'm in that place where I'm feeling rushed and I just need to get the assignment done, I I would rather give less really quality feedback than give more crap feedback. More crap feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. listener, if you haven't figured it out, neither one of us are fans of getting in line or editorial uh you know, mm-hmm. specific editorial feedback. Yeah, it's it, it can be pretty frustrating, you know, even in a mm-hmm. writing group or something. You you can't really yeah. get away from it. I've heard horror stories about all kinds of all mm-hmm. kinds of weird stuff like that. And 
you know, yeah. people, people working with somebody for years and still not getting good feedback from them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's we've been working on this for three, four, five, six years. How can you not understand this by now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Then again, I also come from a position that I think that learning how to give good feedback is one of the best ways to learn how to become a better writer. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. And yeah. I think, I think when it comes to like being in the, the author, authorial community or whatever we want to call it, I think is, it, it's incredibly important there too. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, practicing with someone else's work to identify you know, development, continuity issues, dialogue things, character development. When you practice all of that with the work that's not your own, yeah, it's a lot easier because you're you're not too close to the work and you're yeah. seeing it with fresh eyes for the first time. But then you get really good at identifying it and finding it, and yeah. it'll be easier for you to identify it and find it yeah. in your own work. And and of course, the other way to make sure you get some more perspective on it is by putting it away for a few months but mm-hmm. <clears throat> not everybody has that as a luxury has that right. time so that time and we definitely yeah. don't when it comes to no. specifically the <laughs> set of assignments i got to set it aside for one week because we had a one week break between terms and that i did not touch my thesis for that week because i knew this was my only chance to get some distance from it <clears throat> mm-hmm. and that distance is so important yeah yeah i think is it Pat Rothis who like sets it aside for like a year or something? I wouldn't necessarily be for... surprised. Um, it's one of the reasons Pat is such a beautiful writer, I think. Mm-hmm. But it also, obviously, it slows him down quite a bit. Yeah. You know, 10 years between books talking yeah. like that long. Um, yeah. But he's very passionate. And he's also very concerned about not letting people down. Yeah. And he really wants to give them something yeah. perfect. <laughs> I think some feedback for book two is one of the reasons that we're, we're, we're taking. Um, it's been so long since we've mm-hmm. gotten it before we get book three, whenever that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think he was really kind of shocked at some of the feedback that he got and wanted to and just wants to make sure he does a quote-unquote better job um mm-hmm. i have not read the second book i've only read the first one mostly because i i don't want to read the second until the third is out yeah yeah so that i can just kind of roll right into them but you know other writers do this exact sort of thing they put it away for a while um mm-hmm. some say you know put it away for a month or you know three weeks for uh, i mean um a month three months four months six months or whatever mm-hmm. and then others are like nope just work on it right through so yep. and again it's sure going to be one of those what works for you kind of what things. works for you yeah <clears throat> and it you don't necessarily have to um you know be completely unproductive during that time a lot of authors who, who are full-time and this is their day job they have multiple projects going at the same time in various yeah. stages. Yeah. So they'll have one in revisions where they might, you know, take a break from it for a few months while it's in revisions. And they have another one that they're drafting and another one in development. And then another one that's like off to editors, you yeah. know, ready to go, just getting those final touches put on it. So you could have, you know, three or four projects all going at the same time. So you're yeah. not wasting time by setting it aside for a couple months. 
it's just part of the process. It just yeah. extends the length of time that a, an individual book takes to get to that final product. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like, I have to take a break from writing every and year there, for three months. <laughs> there, there have been examples of that, you know, um, when it comes to the wheel of time stuff, uh, <clears throat> the last couple of books that, that Robert Jordan himself had written, you know, like two of them didn't get a really great editorial pass. Like they were mm -hmm. really truncated. Um, and so when Knife of Dreams, Path of Daggers, the last one that he published before he passed away, the, the last one he wrote before mm -hmm. he passed away, um, he, they, they were, he and Harriet both were like, this is going to have a full editorial cycle. We're going to take mm -hmm. our time with it. It's going to be good. It's going to be right. And, and I think in many ways it's the best book of the, uh, the series. Then again, mm -hmm. he was, you know, what, 12 books into it. And so he, they were still, still trying to figure out a, uh, an editorial cycle that works for both the fans, mm -hmm. the business and the writer. Yeah. It's so. tough when the fan base is, um, putting pressure on. Yeah to get things fast yeah <laughs> that's a really frustrating thing for an author when when a fan base is yeah is you know you've just put out the next book and they're like where's the next one yeah like tell us when it's coming out <laughs> yeah so i mean obviously we we both have some issues with her but that's one of the things jk rowling had talked about you know, for a while there, there's this big rumor that, you know, oh, she's going to publish, a you know, one book a year, just like they're going through Hogwarts. And mm -hmm. she's like, no, like, where did you get this? That's no, a really unrealistic expectation, right? by the way, right? for, for traditionally published authors to be able to put out a book a year. That is really unrealistic. Yeah. And, and self-publishing is a little different, but even self-published authors will often write an entire series before releasing yeah. first one so that they can do what's called a rapid release yeah. and publish one or two books a year because of how ruthless a fan base is. Yeah. And when you're self-published, you have to cater a little more to what the fans yeah. are, are asking. But like a, a traditionally published novel, it takes like a year to get published after the whole thing is written. Like yeah. just even when you have the whole thing done and it's completely written, there it can are, take a year to yeah. get it on shelves there just are, because of that process that that goes into it. Yeah, there are very few authors that can that can put out longer books like that. Like, and and one of them is Steven Erickson. Like he was for a while there, he was doing, you know, ten a thousand eleven hundred page books every ten months, and. It Jeez. was and and writing novellas and short stories on the side. Mm -hmm. So, you know, makes you wonder how, you know, obviously he was writing fairly fast, but he also got his MFA through um, the Iowa Writers Conference or workshop or whatever it's called, which is just a wildly successful program, um, really, really gets people good at, at writing and writing fast and solidly. Mm -hmm. um and that's just the way that's just the kind of brain he has anyway mm -hmm. so yeah that editorial cycle man i tell you um yeah and then we have other people saladin ahmed who wrote you know an amazing debut novel and hasn't gotten anything out since but he's moved mm -hmm. over into working in the world of comics um you know and he does a great job with that but it's like come on man 
you, you we talked we literally sat down and had a conversation about this like where's the second <laughs> book like <laughs> i want it but i'm not gonna be yeah. i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna be rude and nasty about yeah, it yeah there's a there's a difference between like for example the pat rothis fans who's been who've been waiting 10 years and are asking when's the book coming out yeah like that's a legitimate question you yeah. know it, wondering when are we gonna get the next book right yeah because it's been 10 years. Um, but that that's very different from a fan base that's saying, like, we demand a book a year and yeah. give it to us or we're going to send you hate mail. Well, and that's where people, people are. get intense. Yeah. Well, and that's where people are with George, you know, George R. R. Martin. George mm -hmm. is like literally eating crap from people. And, yeah. you know, Neil Gaiman stepped in and was like, he's not your bitch. Sorry, guys. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. keep it, you know, just keep this in mind. He's not he's not yeah and you see it with all kinds of content not just not just books um yeah. tv shows like immediately after wednesday ended um everyone was like when's the next season yeah just immediately yeah. and the cast is like hold on <laughs> yeah like can we breathe yeah. for even a moment yeah and yeah. and like youtubers talk all the time about how they get burned out because they're trying to meet the demands of their fan base and and then they feel like they have to apologize for taking a week off when like their spouse is in the hospital or yeah. something like that and they feel yeah. like they have to share this personal information with everyone because they have to justify why they needed to skip one week of, of yeah. uploading content it's it's you know content creation no matter what it is can be really brutal can be really mm -hmm. thankless I, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the hell we were thinking of and saying, I want to be a writer. Like, <laughs> like, who would do that to themselves? You have to be a little masochistic, I think. But, yeah, you yeah. know, then again, it's the only thing that I've ever wanted to do that really brings me, you know, such mm -hmm. joy and satisfaction. So, yeah, I think uh, for me, at least, I, I choose to go the route of sacrificing building my career fast for building it in a sustainable way where I don't feel like I'm burning out and I don't feel like I have to meet crazy demands. And I just do things on my own timeline. And if that slows down my the building of my platform and an audience and the building of my career, I'm okay with that. Because it, to me, it's just not worth it. It's not yeah. worth the... I mean, I already have enough mental illnesses I have to deal with that make regular life hard. I don't need to add to that. Same. So much the same. Which yeah. actually, like, one of the things I'm really considering is just publishing on, like, Kindle Unlimited or something and, and seeing, you know, mm -hmm. hey, can I find an audience for, you know, military fantasy in mm -hmm. Kindle Unlimited? Um, yeah. I mean, if I let's be honest, if I really wanted to make a, a great living doing Kindle Unlimited, it would be in romance. But yeah, <laughs> um, you know, you could do like military romance. Yeah, military fantasy <laughs> romance. That's that's yeah. it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a there's a fan base for that. I'm sure there's readers for that. Yeah, there's I'm readers sure there's for like too. any kind of romance. Yeah. Well, and and Nora Roberts has been has been proving that for the last i don't know decade mm -hmm. or two decades because she's been doing these genre blends and i've got mm -hmm. one of them it's a trilogy that's a horror romance genre blend and i love it like yeah it's yeah. one of those those trilogies that every once in a while if i'm not feeling well or something i'm like i just want to read that because it makes me feel up. good 
yeah feel good stuff and yeah i feel like romance is the most forgiving genre to experiment with and and blend other things with because it's it's uh such a easy thing to pair Yeah, yeah it's so universal yeah. I mean, like, if you think about the music we listen to, probably 90% of the songs that everyone listens to, pop songs or, you know, your personal playlist. Yeah. Depending on who you are. But I'd, I'd say, I'd guess maybe like 90% is probably all love songs. Yeah. About love or, you know, a romantic relationship in some capacity. Yeah. And that's just because it's such a relatable universal thing yeah well yeah and i think that's one of the reasons it works so well you know like even if you're not doing a full romance or romantic subplot is not an unusual thing mm-hmm. even for military science fiction epic fantasy etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. it's pretty um i wouldn't say rare necessarily but it's less common to have a movie a show or a book some kind of entertainment media that doesn't have some kind of a romance thread in it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, because everybody goes through it, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's, well, those incels out there who are like, I can't have a, a, a relationship. Well, that's their romantic subplot. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Being it's clueless still, and awful. Yeah. It still counts as one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've definitely considered the idea of, of romance um and i think that you know when we're talking about like this long revision process depending on what genre you're writing in and what you're the kind of book you're writing may need less or more revision and for something like the weight of gold which is more upmarket character driven a lot of revision passes was really necessary because i had so much focus on the language and and that internal movement Um, But if I wrote romance, I could definitely see myself, especially if I'm just self-publishing with Kindle Unlimited, cranking out a, you know, a a short novel every year or maybe a couple a year if I don't have a lot of other projects going on and not spending a ton of time on revisions because the people who are reading those and really consuming them aren't really super concerned about how like pretty the language is or how polished it is they just want a page turner yeah and it's amazing like that that audience once again you know i mean i don't think this is the first time we've kind of talked about this on the on the podcast but that audience is so loyal and they'll write they'll Mm -hmm. excuse me they'll read two or three books a week no problem Mm -hmm. yeah um and it's amazing and and you know like i think we've both pointed out but you definitely have have talked about here as long as they end up together at the end of the book, you can do pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. So. And there's know. a lot of tropes to work with. And even the cliche ones, people still want to read yeah. when it comes to romance. Oh, yeah. Uh, the enemies to lovers. That's what I'm doing with my. I'm speaking of revisions. The revision I'm currently working on with my thesis is this um, subplot that I have of a a fae and human romance that happens, you know, 300 years before the events of the actual main plot in my book. And um, it's important because it sets up 
the current events, you know, of the, the main plot. But I have this enemies to lovers trope that I'm trying to do. And I don't write romance <laughs> and I haven't even read a ton of romance. So it's kind of a different thing for me to be writing this romance subplot. And so I'm literally like watching enemy to lover trope movies and taking notes and like using the plot points of that um, enemy to lover relationship growth as an outline for um, my revisions. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. And, and, you know, there are so many people on YouTube and stuff who talk about things like that. They're like, Oh, this mm -hmm. is, you know, here's some tips. And I mean, there's just so much information out there. Of course, the tricky part is figuring out what's good and what works for you. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's, yep. there's some decent stuff out there to figure out, work out any kind of romance. Yeah, it can be formulaic and some people hate that and it drives them crazy and some people love it. Well, that's one of the reasons. The formula. That's one of the reasons so many of us kind of poo-poo romance authors. Well, it's so formulaic. Mm. Every book is the same. Well, no. You know, the ending is supposed to be the same. It's supposed to be the happy ending. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's not necessarily a terrible thing either because there's a huge amount of creativity that you can have up until that mm -hmm. point. Whereas I, in some ways, I think epic, epic fantasy doesn't even has, uh, have as much freedom because mm -hmm. there are just certain expectations that people are going to have along the way. You know, everybody's a badass or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to do this, this and this. And then, but... Yeah, romance yeah. is kind of a blank slate. You just have to cross the finish line in a specific way. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, yeah, it's formulaic, but in the same way, it's like a recipe for hate. Yeah. That you you have to have certain elements. You have to have a leavener. You have to have fat of some kind. Mm -hmm. You have to have some kind of a starch or a flour. There are certain elements that are necessary for it to be considered a cake. Otherwise, you're, it's a different dessert, right? Yeah. And, but you can change up what that is and you can choose how you decorate it. And yeah. that's, to me, what romance is like. You have to have these certain elements. Yeah. But you can choose to flavor it in whatever way you want. You can yeah. choose to use egg or just egg with yolks or, or egg, just egg whites. You could choose to, to use baking soda or you could choose, um, a, some cake recipes don't use a, a leavener they have to you have to incorporate air into it and let the air do the the, mm. the rising um mm. anyway there's so many different ways to make a cake yeah and everyone you know there's no shortage of of different types of cakes in the world and everyone enjoys not everyone enjoys cake obviously but um people who enjoy cake they don't necessarily think oh this is just the same food over and over again there's different flavors there's mm -hmm. different kinds of cake there's different methods of doing it there's different decoration and so it's not something that gets old necessarily yeah um that's... this is a very big generalization by the way but, but... That's, that's actually a really good working uh, uh, way to look at it because like a high fantasy is supposed to look like this what mm -hmm. goes into it could be entirely different but it's supposed to look like this Mm -hmm. A dark fantasy is supposed to look like this. A gothic fantasy is supposed to look like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, um, in some ways, I think those are more restrained. Um, yeah, yeah. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, romance can be um, the same cake over and over again with maybe just a different color icing, but it doesn't have to be. And at the same time, if you if you're someone and you like a very specific kind of cake and that's the kind of cake you want to eat all the time what is wrong with somebody making that cake for you right right <laughs> and making it over and over again well, with slightly and, different decoration yeah you, you know you have a you have a writer who keeps turning out something you know resembling kind of the same thing well you know obviously like you said those specific you know, fans are going to eat it up, but then you've got mm -hmm. other fans who are going to be like, oh, I've been looking for exactly that kind of thing. Let me pick that up. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know that I'm going to get any of Nora Roberts' other books, but I I damn sure love mm -hmm. this series. Yeah. And it's a, it's not just um, romance that does this either. Like you said, a yeah. lot of other genres, you, there is a structure. There is a certain list of ingredients that you need. Yeah. And those are called conventions. Mm -hmm. um, but... I would say things like mysteries, like cozy mysteries, mm -hmm. those can be very formulaic. A lot of Agatha Christie's novels are like the same story over and over again, recycled it with new characters and new situations. Yeah. And I mean, people ate her stories up and well, still do. And, and, and you see, that that's a really great example to bring up because she, when she wrote her books, she had no idea who the killer was until the mm -hmm. end and then she would she would figure out who the killer was write it and then go back and revise to drop in little hints mm -hmm. here and there so talk about like literally writing through revision that's mm -hmm. you know she was she was fantastic at it but yeah you're right there's a lot of a lot of similar stuff there yeah it's a um i think i saw something once that actually laid out the the formula for her books with the uh, Pierrot does this and then he he finds this and then he talks to this person and then <sighs> this is revealed and it's a very specific set of steps yeah. and you can kind of follow that every time you read a new one but if you look at like the settings the variety of settings with you know for example Orient Express versus uh, Death on the Nile and how different of an experience it is reading each of those because the even just the settings not not even getting into the different characters yeah just setting alone creates a completely different experience reading it and so if you enjoy that formula and you enjoy that kind of a story reading it in different settings or with a different cast of characters can be really comforting and yeah. still enjoyable and exciting well it's it's one of the reasons the hero's journey is so important in in you know certain types of fiction not all types of fiction but you know mm -hmm. a lot of them particularly like fantasy epic fantasy etc some things along those lines um yeah. military science fiction tends to break away from that in my experience a little bit more you tend to not have like a specific mentor figure etc because those people are part of an organization. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's kind of neat how that works out. You know, people mm -hmm. are like, hey, you can you can have a uh, specific template for anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, listeners, you might be wondering, what does this all have to do with revision? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, we were we were talking earlier about how we approach um I think in the last episode about how we approach 
our writing process where we put in the skeleton first, right? And revision is this opportunity to take something that might be a little more formulaic and turn it into something unique, putting your own decoration on it. It's mm -hmm. the icing on the cake that really turns it into a work of art. Um, and I, in my opinion, <laughs> you could have the most formulaic book ever and still you know in revision turn it into something really incredible and really beautiful yeah and that's why i love revision so much yeah because the in the drafting and the initial story is just something we've all seen before right yeah i mean there's no such thing as a new plot it doesn't exist yeah. and in order to fit in the genre you need to use certain conventions and um even tropes and then in revision you get to really refine it and you know maybe turn that trope on its head or um put that convention in a new light or in a new way that feels more fresh yeah and it's like you don't have to put this pressure on yourself to reinvent the wheel because you know when you're revising you can put your own creativity into it yeah and turn it into something really interesting I don't know that we could say it better than that. <laughs> okay. Well, we are out of time for the day. So we've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams. And J.S. Garrity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.